Hello, friend. Faster than you can say, oh my God, there's a python over there in the bushes. It's time for the Hello Friend podcast, all about the show, Mr. Robot. Hey, Henry, how's it going? Hey, Margaret. It's uh, it's going well. Um, interesting uh, season finale uh, and a lot for us to chew on and talk about. Wow. Yeah. So we have just both watched the end of season two, the episode, the finale, episode 12, essentially called Python Part Two. And there are so many twists and turns in that. But we do open with a very familiar scene. We're back at Coney Island and we see the cyclone roller coaster in the background. In this show, it's called the Steeplechase. But it's basically Tyrell and Elliot sort of unveiling phase two to all of us, I guess. Yeah. And, you know, I think the last time we spoke, you had mentioned that you thought uh, Tyrell might not be real. And it kind of took me aback because I had thought. I never really went in that direction. It was just more like, oh, well, that's interesting. He's back. He's alive. Um, but then when you said that, I kind of started thinking, well, maybe that is, you know, what happened. And maybe that is the direction it's going. So when the scene opened with this, that was still very much in my mind. And obviously very much in Elliot's mind as a character also. Yeah, it very much was. And we saw how that got played with back and forth throughout the rest of this episode. But basically Tyrell is there to show Elliot their, their, their secrets and that they, that they've been planning and Elliot's acting a little bit unstable according to Tyrell, which is ironic considering how unstable he is. And they're both sort of having this interesting interplay where Tyrell's saying, you know, there's a reason we met. There's a reason we met. And Elliot's like, no way, man, you're only seeing what's in front of you, not above you. What did you think Elliot meant by that? I have no idea. The two of them are insane. Right. And it's just like watching the two of them, it was uh, it was kind of eerie. And the thing that struck me about Terrell's character is that he bears very little resemblance to the Terrell that we knew in season one. Like, to me, it, he looks physically the same, but his motivations, what he does as a character, they're all very much a mystery to me. I have to say, I felt the same way too. Like, Terrell was doing a lot of crying in this episode, for example. That was really bizarrely out of character. And you're right, he looks like the same guy, but he's acting like, you know, it's almost like when you have a dream about a person and that person doesn't really have their personality. It's the personality you're, you're projecting onto them. And that's sort of how I was feeling watching it. But who knows? Yeah, I mean... The, the character was just a little bit unrecognizable to me. So, you know, I suspect that a lot of season three will be kind of filling in this backstory, much as season two was filling a lot of backstory. Yeah, I think what, what what's going to happen, I think, in season three is that we're going to see a lot of the backstory of what Terrell did during his time off camera in season two kind of play out. Um, I suspect that that's going to be the case rather than my preference like episode one of season three, just kind of laying it all bare. 
Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I loved it when Elliot said to Tyrell, are you staying here? And Tyrell's like, oh, are you kidding me? Come on. I have way better taste than this dump. I just work here. Yeah. And so that was a flash of the old Tyrell, right? Like the kind of I'm better than you. I got taste and money. You don't. It's a little bit of that Tyrell kind of peeking up a bit, but to quickly kind of be buried by this new Tyrell. And to your point, you know, there was one point where Tyrell was telling Elliot about his father. So both he and Elliot have father issues, which was another thing that made me think that that this was an imaginary character, at least at this point in time. But he recited the red wheelbarrow, which is something that keeps popping up over and over again. It was on the menu that Mr. Robot decrypted last episode and it was the name of Elliot's journal. And of course I had time to Google it. Yes, I feel special because I can use Google search. And I discovered, and I may have known this at some point in my life, it's a poem. Uh, Red Wheelbarrow is uh, by William Carlos Williams and Tyrell was reciting the first few lines from that poem. Interesting. So I wonder uh, what what that connection, that Easter egg is going to have, if at all, to what transfolds. Yeah, I feel like uh, I feel like Sam Esmail and I must have taken, or maybe all of us in a similar generation must have taken the same college classes. Because I feel like, because then they open with the titles with a Kraftwerk song, which I didn't recognize right away. I was like, I know this. And then when they got into the lyrics and then through the power of Shazam. So not only can I Google Henry, I can also Shazam uh, quite handily with my Android phone. And that was pretty cool. I thought Kraftwerk was a pretty good choice. Yeah, I. But I'm curious. Was that something you learned in high uh, university? Is craft? Oh yeah, I was very much. My friends and I were very much into Kraftwerk, Kraftwerk, as we say. And uh, I had a, went to school with a friend who wrote his. Spent almost all four years doing a bunch of work around William Carlos Williams and did a whole um, giant book about it. So it, it's just very familiar to like if just my university experience. So good on you, Sam Esmail. <laughs> wow, interesting. Yeah. And then I loved when Elliot and Tyrell were entering the building and they go, they run into this guy who's in full protective gear eating a sandwich. Yeah, that was a little bit odd. Um, and I don't know exactly what his connection is with phase two and what we learned about that. But that was definitely a little ominous yeah it was so ominous that he was first of all so blase about it it was almost like he was working at a nuclear power plant uh you know it reminded me of a scene from the simpsons <laughs> but he he was very nonchalant to the point where even though he's in all this hazardous kind of protective gear or 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 you know to get away from the hazards of course he's just chomping on that lunch and uh and, you know, Elliot was saying, you know, it's one thing to question your mind, another th- thing to question your eyes and your ears. And, you know, everything I'm seeing is a garbled reality anyway, pretty much. Yeah. And kind of, uh, I don't know, setting the scene for the confusion to come about what's real and what's not. Elliot's already kind of in that frame of mind questioning the reality of things. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, Elliot, for some reason, takes it upon himself to say to Tyrell, what about Joanna, dude? How can you leave your wife like that? And Tyrell's like, whatever. She can handle herself. And 
I mean, wow, that woman uh, is fierce. And it made me wonder, you know, what she's doing with her current boyfriend and, and kind of setting up this trap for Scott, uh, Scott Knowles. Made me kind of wonder if that's how she and Terrell maybe met. Like maybe she's this Black Widow type where she seduces men, kind of gets them to do her bidding and then moves on. I really love how the actress Stephanie Cornelson plays that character so deadpan and just very sort of like you're saying like an animal like quality like she's very instinctual but I do, I also feel on the other hand that Joanna's character it's it's an enigma to me but I feel like there's not enough to her for me to really understand her motivations I mean yeah maybe she's done that uh but how did she know to target this guy Derek so early on like how could she be that many steps ahead of what her game plan was yeah she's not written so much as a character is almost like a force of nature like someone to write in like a spirit um in a story or uh, some sort of shade you know mm -hmm. i agree i agree and darlene and dom had some interesting interactions i mean santiago is just such a cliched character at this point i i don't even like any scene he's in because unless he's evil it's just it's like why are you there you're like constantly just playing a foil to dom and it's just so obvious dom and darlene had some interesting uh things going back and forth and i like that at least santiago threw in the patriot act darlene saying your fifth amendment you can just you know stick your fifth amendment yeah and it made me actually that that part actually got me thinking for a little bit about how, whether the patriot act is just going to be part of american law for the rest of our lives if not longer you know like how long will this hastily uh written piece of legislation that was not even really deliberated uh yet granted sweeping powers to the federal government how long will this remain in force will it ever go away it doesn't seem like it will ever go away does it i mean i i think about this when i listen to the news you know where we have these bombings and you know terrorism and this ongoing war in Syria. And you just think, you know, both you and I remember when the wall fell and the kind of optimism that greeted that thinking like, wow, the West won, like hooray for freedom. You know, like here comes this long age of world peace. And somehow we've found ourselves in a really uh, dangerous world and one that I guess requires broad surveillance powers and capabilities. Yeah, it's it's an amazing time we're living in because we we all have been aware that things could head in this direction in terms of surveillance, in terms of restricted rights, in terms of, you know, things like that are happening in the real world right now like drones are being used by local police departments and and robots i mean and they're being used for a lot of good reasons i mean robots are being used to disarm bombs for example but man it's accelerated so incredibly fast and i don't think anyone had a had time to even consider the patriot act it was enacted and i just think it's it's just par and part and parcel for what we're going to be contending with. When, the, you know, the New Jersey, New York bombing suspect was apprehended and the amount of information and forensic work mm -hmm. they were able to do so quickly, to me, really spoke to how much our surveillance capabilities as a nation have improved and increased uh, in the last 10 years. Because if you think about that was the sort of investigation that would have taken weeks before, you know, tr tying that discovered phone to his family and then tracing him. You know, I mean, just if you look at what they had to uncover and the speed in which they uncovered it and the amount of video and detail that they were able to 
extract. It's pretty, it's pretty like uh, sobering when you think about the future of governance and uh, surveillance and population control. Like, did you see that thing about MIT researchers discovering a wireless way to read people's moods? No, I did not see that. Yeah, it was in the news today. And it was talking about how they basically can use wireless signals to pick up people's respiratory rates and heart rates and use that to judge their mood with like 79, 80% accuracy, right? And if you think about this, this is like, you know, this Orwellian Big Brother box that can gauge your emotions and report back and give you content and information. Like the amount of sensory ability um, and surveillance when the government can basically gauge the mood of its people all the time down to the individual level and know what you're listening to, what you like, how you feel about this, how rich you are, how, quote, smart you are. I mean, that's a ton of information that we're generating and collecting. Yeah, no kidding. And uh, number one, that's why I was so gobsmacked that last week Dominique was so readily confessing her heart to the Amazon Echo, as we were so vehemently discussing. And then uh, to sort of complement what you're saying about that, uh, as, as just a regular sort of observer, uh, or, you know, who's following the news, it's amazing how much I turn to things like Twitter, you know, to find out, I mean, as soon as any scrap of information or rumor comes out about just about any prominent news event. It's it's easy within minutes to find out the latest information on Twitter that it takes sometimes hours and days for the other media outlets to report. Now you have to sift, sift through what's accurate and what isn't, but it's fascinating the way that just flares up like that. And I think the Russians... Actually, I think some stuff has been written about this recently, but the Russians understand how to use social media and information to destabilize and uh, promote certain political agendas. Uh, it's pretty interesting when you read about some of the stuff about how the Kremlin recognized very early on the information warfare potential of social media because they themselves were victims to this, right? Like all the European... Um, quote, revolutions that were happening where former Soviet states were becoming democratic, the Russians got a very close-hand view about how social media was able to drive this political change. And so they really undertook a strong effort to understand it and learn how to shape and uh, influence it. And I think what Trump is doing is kind of in this playbook. One of my favorite classes I took as an undergrad was a whole semester on propaganda <laughs> That's a whole other podcast, I probably, but it was really fun because we studied the history of propaganda from the 20th century on modern history and postmodern and methods of propaganda. The Russians have mastered that. I know that, you know, even in the United States, we have agencies obviously devoted to that kind of stuff. The United States Information Agency is one. They do a lot of like publications in different countries. They call it influence. I think the paranoid call it mind control, right? <laughs> Welcome to the tinfoil hat wearing podcast with your friends. No, I'm just kidding. Now I hear you. I mean, all culture is persuasion, right? Ultimately. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. And, it, you know, I think I think what can be destructive is, you know, all culture is about influence, but usually that system is somewhat self-referential. And the feedback loops in on it itself. I think when it becomes dangerous is when this kind of persuasion is basically imposed 
and there's no opportunity, there's no none of that feedback loop or that ability for that society or population to influence the culture that's being imposed on it. I know we're sort of veering off of the topic of Mr. Robot, although this is totally related to everything they talk about. I mean, I've been finding it impossible to watch mainstream media around the presidential election. I wish news would just go back to being boring people reading at a desk. I wish it would go back to the 1950s where there was just more serious journalism, News Corp and all these other, you know, Viacom and Time Warner. There's just all these agendas. It's ridiculous. They have no credibility anymore. We need to take back the airwaves for the public interest, at least to some extent. I think we forget that uh, in a lot of European countries, the public airwaves are treated as a public good. Mm-hmm. And time is carved and set aside for political discourse and discussion. And I think when we look at how like these crackpot dictators in other countries come to power, we in the United States have been lucky enough to look at that and think, wow, that's so weird. How does that happen? But this rise of Trump gives us a glimpse into how that can happen when media and other institutions get co-opted. Um, and driven more by profit than by ethics and integrity. Whatever your political spectrums might be, there is no denying that if Donald Trump as the nominee wins the presidential election, he wins quite literally. But even if he loses the election, he still wins because right now he has Roger Ailes working for him. Ever since Roger Ailes left Fox, he's over there. I think he has another huge media mogul working for him. My prediction is if Trump loses this election, he's going to start a Fox News competitor network. Oh, I I can see that. It's that guy, Roger Ailes, or I think, not Mm -hmm. not, not that guy, um, the guy who was the founder of Breitbart, um, the alt-right Oh, right. That's right. Mm -hmm. That's That's the one he brought over. Uh, so I, I think, you know, that's one way things can play out for Trump. I hope personally that Trump ends all of this in a, in a, under a mound of legal investigation, legal and criminal investigations. I hope that his business empire crumbles under the weight of, you know, the embarrassment that he's generated um, with his ignorant statements. Um, mm-hmm. Sorry, sorry, listeners who have different political views, but. Um, on this, I just can't stay silent uh, for the, the record. This election's ridiculous because neither side is winning any friends, right? It's just unbelievable. It's- oh, this the surveillance state that we're living under was largely the product of Hillary's husband, Bill yeah. Clinton. Um, so I don't have any love for the Clintons either. Yep. Anyway, so I'll tell you who has no love for someone, and that's Joanna Wellick popping in on Scott Knowles. So it was Scott Knowles, who's now just a desperate, degenerate wino. I mean, if you're going to be a total alcoholic, being a wino is kind of the saddest because, and I know because (laughs) it gets really nasty after a while to drink a bunch of red wine, right? (laughs) Red teeth, red teeth. No one (laughs) likes red teeth. (laughs) he starts bragging how he's the CTO of one of the largest conglomerates. And she's just like, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. Then we found out that his wife was pregnant. And so when Tyrell killed her, Sharon Knowles, uh, it's just so gruesome. So now we have, I think, a little bit of a clue as to what Joanna meant when she said this was the best gift that he could have given us. Um, I think to me... I interpreted that as she got, she finally understood that he gave her what she needed to take him down, that she was going to go there, make him lose his temper 
hit her, giving her the lever she needed to get Derek to then flip on him. I had no idea how the scene was going to play out because, uh, first of all, Scott Knowles, the actor who's playing him, he's just so good. He's great. And he reminds me of, uh, I keep mentioning Stanley Kubrick or David Lynch in the context of the show. He reminds me of a character you would see in Kubrick's A Clockwork Orange. Like he of just this crazed, um, but I had no idea how Joanna was going to play it. I had no idea that was going to happen and he was going to beat her up and she was going to try to push him to do that. Yeah, that, that scene was a, little, was a little bit surprising. I thought it was either going to end in sex or violence, either <laughs> one or the other. Um, and I think you're right. That actor who plays Scott Knowles is great. I think he'd be great at playing Faust. Oh, he would be so good at playing Faust. He he's just so good. I can't I can't put my finger on it, but you're right. Like he's just got this intensity about him. Intensity mixed with some quality where he looks slightly sinister. You know, like when he smiles and laughs, it doesn't look purely joyful. <laughs> totally and then of course it doesn't help when joanna says things like i'm glad she's dead i hope you rotten now oh and and to me and to me i thought even at that point i was thinking this could be like sex because we know that joanna likes rough sex uh, right. so i was thinking there was up until he started punching her the first couple punches i thought well this could be fate. um it just turned out that wasn't the case. Yeah. So in the meantime, Dominique is still working on Darlene, showing her all the evidence she has against her, trying to bond that they're both Jersey girls. And the thing I thought was really cool about the way that all played out throughout this episode is, and maybe it was a little too obvious, I have to tell you the minute if I were Dominique and I heard somebody say things like, trust me, I'm no leader. And I'm sure you would have honed in on that immediately. Like that's a tell. I was in a business negotiation a couple of weeks with somebody and I just said something very matter of fact, but very even tone, totally calm, but his face turned bright red. And I was like, ah, oh, got you. Right. That's a tell. And I felt like that was the beginning of Darlene's undoing in terms of Dom figuring her out. Yeah. I mean, Dom was able to start moving Darlene around like a chess piece uh, to the end, actually getting her to leave the room to go check out the wall. Because, I mean, really, if you're going to take the fifth and not cooperate, just see that through. Uh, don't leave the room. <laughs> there's, there's, no, there's no upside in leaving the room. If you invoke the fifth, just stay in the room. Why leave? What, what should have... Darlene Don Henry, I know you have extensive background in these areas. What should she have done? Resist, resisting criminal investigation? Yes. Let me share <laughs> some of my, my tactics and history. Um, <laughs> uh, no, I think when she said, I'd like to show you something, be like, no, that's okay. I'm going to stay right here until I get my lawyer. You know, I think for her, she should have made her bright line, I get a lawyer. You don't get anything from me until I get my lawyer. Right? And you know, to start off, so like, I'm going to invoke the fifth and then cave before seeing your lawyer. Like that enemy combatant stuff that they hit her with. The Supreme Court has ruled that the United States, if you're a U.S. citizen, they can't treat you like an enemy combatant the way that they treated, you know, uh, non-U.S. citizens. Uh, and that you do have the right to counsel. So why cave? Yeah, good point. Yeah, I mean, she was pretty much being lied to. That's that's a really good point. And, and why do you think Tyrell 
And I mean, I, on the one hand, it's an obvious question, but Tyrell is obsessed with referring to, you know, we're gods, you and I, Elliot. I love you, Elliot. Uh, we're on Mount Olympus together. We're, we're creating, you know, so what is it that's giving him the thinking that he's a god? That's why I'm wondering, like, is he on drugs? Like, that's how someone who's on ecstasy or some sort of, <laughs> uh, you know, mind-altering substance would behave. Like, what happened to Terrell? Did he go manic? What's what's his deal? It's true. I, again, when he was crying, when he was um, almost ready to shoot Elliot, he didn't seem to mind murdering the heck out of Sharon Knowles. What happened to his to his consciousness that made him different? Yeah, where's the bum-beating villain that we've come to know and love? <laughs> I know. I do think it's funny that that the actor who plays uh, uh, Martin Walstrom, I think, uh, Tyrell, is so much taller than both Rami Malek and Christian Slater. And I, I can imagine if I stood next to him, I'm sure I'd look like you know his, his eight-year-old niece or something. But he's so much taller. Yeah, a lot of people in Hollywood are a lot shorter than you would expect. It's... Uh, it's a little bit like the we people are running Hollywood. It's true. I've noticed that too. It makes me feel really great. And, uh, <laughs> but it's true. It's so surprising how much smaller people are in Hollywood. And I've heard different reasons for that. They all live in tiny, tiny houses. Uh, they're all miniature Thumbelina size. <laughs> and, <laughs> <laughs> and of course, so it looks like phase two has to do with the fact that there's one facility out of 71 where all the paper files are being housed, which is kind of stupid, uh, to to rebuild the database and, and reverse what F Society put in motion. Do I have that right? Yeah, I think the idea is once you take down the digital, you got to take out the paper copies uh, to really reset things. Uh, so that's what they're trying to do. Yes. And... Uh, and then, of course, Dominique had to fend off Santiago. Go away. I am Darlene. We're both Jersey girls, as I mentioned. She tells Darlene that there are over 6,000 agents. And I, this is to your point earlier about the surveillance culture we live in, right? 6,000 agents working on Darlene and her colleague's case alone, which makes sense because it's a big deal. Uh, and then the flickering lights again. What's up with that? Uh, there's going to be, uh, and the episode ends with the power outage, right? So mm -hmm. uh, some, somehow electricity supply is going to be involved in all this. And, you know, I think I've been kind of, uh, I think I've voiced my skepticism that society would operate so seemingly smoothly after that kind of hack that they described, right? Um, so maybe we're kind of actually starting to see uh, the breakdown of infrastructure and the smooth functioning of things. Yeah, I think so too. I think that's, we're definitely in the, the walking dead part of the season one, episode one of the walking dead part of the story where it looks like infrastructure is just starting to crumble. And of course, this is where we find out that the Python does have a meeting beyond the programming language, which is named after Monty Python. It's the Python approach. You lie and wait, and you wait for the right moment to strike if you're that kind of a snake. And, uh, you know, Dominique says she's a patient predator. Uh, what did you think about that? Pretty, pretty cool. Pretty cool, but I also think that we're going to find that the real Python is actually uh, beyond Dar uh, Darlene, beyond Dom. And it's actually, in fact, one of the, the people pulling the, the strings, uh, Elliot, White Rose, 
I think they're actually much more patient. Because if you think about the kind of patience that Elliot and his various alter egos have exhibited in the execution of this plan, it's, I mean, pretty Python-esque. It is, it is. And if you're operating on the levels that people like Price and White Rose are operating on, and even people above them, Elliot did say, you're not looking at what's above you. What could that be, aliens? Or who's above you? What is that when Darlene is confronted with all this evidence, including a bullet? So again, like you're saying, the FBI just amassed all this information on F Society. They were coordinated. Elliot's code name is Sam Sepiol, and that's a combination of Sam S.I.L. and a USA Network executive. Oh, ha, ha. <laughs> well done. It was interesting. I felt like Elliot's personality was a little bit different. Did you notice that too in this episode? Yeah, uh, I felt like all the characters were kind of acting a little off their game. And I wonder if it's because they really couldn't be their full characters, but they actually had to be a slave a bit to the plot. I was wondering that too. What What is going on there? Definitely... Elliot was speaking more dialogue than we've ever seen him speak it. And Mr. Robot was really just in sort of, he was on an infinite loop, it seemed like, of just trying to prevent Elliot from expressing his will uh, in terms of shutting the hack down. But I have to say, I had to wonder if Elliot, again, was just being played. Yeah, for someone who's a master hacker, he does allow himself, at least his conscious self, to get... (laughs) led around quite a bit yeah and he was saying things like why why do you have to torment me mr robot and why are you guys all doing this to me and he's completely disavowing himself of any responsibility and i don't think that's insignificant yeah i i don't think so at all uh, it really uh, shows the schizophrenic nature of elliot's uh, personality and various personas at this point there's a little bit of a, another Easter egg there. I, I'm sure you saw it where there was a flash where instead of saying E Corp or Evil Corp, we saw Smile Corp, like Sam Smile. So a little self-congratulatory nod. I thought that was pretty cool towards the end. And I love the Let's Be Frank show. But then that just cuts to Angela. She just pops up and QWERTY appeared again, which I was hoping we'd see QWERTY again. And then... She's on the phone with Tyrell? What? Yeah. So evidently, uh, he's alive, confirmed, uh, if the shooting wasn't enough. And he loves Elliot. And evidently, but it seems like Elliot's still alive, um, judging by the way that he's talking about him. So what's up? Yes. And I don't think it's accidental that, first of all, the we saw earlier in the season, Mr. Robot repeatedly shooting Elliot in the head. And that was a fantasy, right? And that didn't really happen. So even now, seeing Elliot be shot, I'm, I think it was real. But uh, it does sound like he survived it. But who, who knows? Did you catch that after scene, though? After everything ended, after we got tonight and we find out Elliot's Got to see Angela first thing. We cut to Fry's Electronics parking lot. (laughs) As the credits start rolling, we cut into the final surprise scene, which was just so trippy. We open just like at the end of last season where it ended with Philip Price and Minister Zhang in that exclusive club chit-chatting. This time we open in a parking lot. It looks like we're somewhere maybe in Arizona in the West, Southwest. It was a Fry's Electronics parking lot, but there was just something weird looking about the Fry's Electronics because it, it had like these 
these dragons sort of like there was it looked like it was a if you mashed up a fry's electronics with like a mayan pyramid but it was very subtle and who's there taking a slurpy break in that parking lot but trenton and mobley and they have jobs working at a fry's electronics and it seems like trenton has figured out a way to reverse the f society hack and as they were talking about it guess who comes up to them to talk to them it was so intense who? Leon. What? He asked them the question and they think he's a customer and they're like, yo, dude, we're on break. Yo, leave us alone. He's like, hey. And that's how they end it. It's Leon. He's coming after Mobley and Trenton for some reason. Why? Why do you think? I don't know. That can't be good. Maybe to assassinate them. But To assassinate them? Really? I don't know. I mean, because if he's working with White Rose and they're cleaning up all the loose ends, Cisco's dead, right? Oh, Yeah. Hey, everybody, Cisco's dead. (laughs) (laughs) Well, so I'm not sure. Like, I I think they might be like the the hero crew that gets Darlene out of jail Mm -hmm. and somehow is the cavalry that arrives on the scene. That's what I'm thinking. I hope so. I hope so. But it was it was really cool and yet really funny to see. Mobley and Trenton stuck working at a Fry's Electronics, but that was the trippiest Fry's Electronics I've ever seen with the weird, I've never seen a Fry's with a, like, two, looked like Viking dragons that you would see on the ship on either side of the um, sign. I I thought at first that it was a Fry's Electronics in Burbank um, in Southern California, but Fry's Electronics, uh, I don't know if you know this, but they all have different themes. Oh. Um, and so there's one that has like uh, a UFO sticking out of the front facade as if it crashed into it. Like they all have different themes. Like some of them, some are country western, some are Alice in Wonderland. Uh, so that's probably the theme of this Fry's Electronic. You are kidding me. You're not no, kidding I'm me. No, I'm serious. No. The first time, and the, the trippy thing is when someone <laughs> actually pointed that out to me, I had been in the Fry's Electronics a number of times and had just never noticed the theme. And then I actually started looking around and noticing, oh, yeah. That's pretty obvious now that I look at it. Oh, I'm looking at it right now. Um, uh, there's one. It's the one in Silicon Valley. Okay, it's the Fry's Electronics on Thunderbird Road in Phoenix. <laughs> and it is Mayan, like snakes. Oh, like the pythons. Like the python. There you go. <gasps> Thanks for letting me know. I had no idea. I've clearly never been to a Fry's Electronics. <laughs> They're pretty awesome places if you're into technology and things it's a great place to be a geek well that's wonderful i i i don't know i know we have to wrap up soon is, is there anything that you want to talk about in terms of you know this this episode or how the season wrapped up or what you think it all means wow um you know i'm sure we might uh, i'm sure we will talk about that in a future podcast between the seasons but i think you know, a lot of season two, I'm hoping, was kind of setting the scenes for a more action-packed season three, where these various threads kind of come together a bit. You know, like in any kind of trilogy, sometimes the second novel is more about putting people into their set places for the kind of final climax. Uh, so I'm, I'm kind of hoping that that's the case here. Um, I'm, I'm hoping that they don't make a habit out of, like, drawing out these to me tangential plot lines that kind of serve as distractions more than anything yeah i hope that they give joanna more of a 
a real meteor sort of presence, uh, even though, because she's so awesome. And the, I, I know I say it every week, but the actress, oh my gosh, jo- uh, Stephanie Cornelson retweeted and liked one of my tweets, but she's super active on Twitter and seems very nice. So I, we were talking about hair. <laughs> um, nice. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really proud of myself. Can you tell? And Rami Malek did win an Emmy Award for whatever that's worth. I, yeah, I hope, I hope that they just keep going where they're going. I don't need to see a lot of these sort of, uh, you know, Elliot going crazy scenes, although I like it. And I don't know. I think they can go in a lot of directions. I think they can go in the virtual reality direction. When Elliot said, look up, that could be a UFO reference. I mean, isn't NASA announcing they discovered some kind of signs of life on Europa? Didn't that just get announced? Oh, I didn't hear that. Hmm. That's interesting. Life on Europa? I don't know. NASA's a whole announcement about potentially life-supporting ocean on Jupiter's moon Europa. So anyway, there you have it. Breaking, breaking, <laughs> breaking news. news. Breaking. <laughs> uh, we might not be alone in our solar system. <laughs> um, I, I think I think for me, um, if they do fewer imaginary characters, sorry, background noise. If they do fewer imaginary characters um, and depend less like on kind of Elliot hiding information from himself to drive the plot and create suspense. I would appreciate that. Like, I don't, I feel like those are kind of cheap gimmicky ways to create a plot in the story. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I am just so excited that the show was renewed in spite of whatever critiques I've had. I love the show and I've been really enjoying podcasting with you, Henry. Thank you so much uh, for chatting with me about this episode and season two. Yeah, and thanks to you, Margaret, and thanks to all our fans and listeners and people who comment and make contributions. Uh, really, really great. Margaret and I really, really enjoy it, and we're looking forward to a great season three of Mr. Robot. Yes, yes, and beware the pythons, everyone. Beware of pythons hiding in wait. <laughs> all right, bye, Henry. <laughs> bye, Margaret. Take Have care. Cool. You too. Bye. If you go near the lake, Keep your eyes wide open and look for Sneaky Snake. Now maybe you won't see him, maybe you won't hear, but he'll sneak up behind you and drink all of your root beer. And then Sneaky Snake goes dancing, wiggling and a-hissing. Sneaky Snake goes dancing. Giggling and a kissing. I don't like old Sneaky Snake. He laughs too much, you see. When he goes wiggling through the grass, it tickles his underneath. Well, Sneaky Snake drinks root beer, and he just makes me sick. When he is not dancing, he looks just like a stick. Now he doesn't have any arms or legs You cannot see his ears And while we are not looking He's stealing all of our beer And then Sneaky Snake goes dancing Wiggling and a-hissing Sneaky Snake goes dancing A-giggling and a-kissing I don't like old Sneaky Snake 
He laughs too much, you see. When he goes wiggling through the grass, it tickles his underneath. 